Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 154th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that is always looking for new ways to earn your loyalty. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. How are you this fine spring day? Yeah, quite the whipsaw on the weather. As our yep. running week-to-week weather commentary continues, <laughs> four to scintillating 60. podcasting. Hey, are you uh, are you complaining about my segues here? No, I'm just saying we're masters of our craft. Yeah, right. Uh, we are glad to be here and looking forward to sharing valuable information with all of you. Our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today, MTGPrice.com, to manage your collection, track your specs chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. James, I have a more relevant, friendlier topic of conversation. Are you okay. going to GP Toronto this weekend? I am indeed. You are going to be on site? And I, Yeah, and I'm trying to figure out whether I'm bringing Sultai Wizards, the Sultai Instance deck that 5-0'd some MTGO leagues last week, um, that Star City Games was playing on their... Uh, stream this week and decided was terrible um or some kind of like bant control shell for wilderness reclamation to fairy and sphinx's revelation with nexus of fate those are all very exciting options and i'm sure you will see great success with them (laughs) Uh, i agree with the first part i suspect that having never played the deck before and probably like everyone else misbuilding (laughs) <laughs> anything new the first time around i will probably do very mediocre but i suspect i will have more fun than people that are playing affinity for the 600th time that always is what killed those i feel like kills those ideas in the crib is that it's not that the decks are bad it's that magic deck building is an iterative process and a yeah. lot of times those cool decks don't just aren't getting the reps they need to be figured out uh, and as somebody who loves cool decks it's kind of a bummer but i understand how we end up there um, I'll be there too. It's the plan. Uh, you and I will be floating around site a little bit. So uh, if you see us, admire us from a distance. Or just say hello. And I like admiring from a distance. Follow us around. Like you can like make it clear that you're following us around, but don't get too close. And then people will wonder why we have this group of people chasing us. I like that. I, I, I'm totally fine when people ask me whether something they're about to buy is a good deal. Travis would prefer not. So if you see him, ask him where I am. <laughs> you can ask me. No, I, I don't mind talking to people. It's fine. I make a joke of it, but it's not an issue. Uh, I mean, plenty, lots of magic finance personalities on the floor this weekend. I think DJ's in town. I think Monty's going to be around. Ed's in town, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Uh, all sorts of folks. Quite a few people. And the various folks that are behind the traveling vendors. Yep. I got reservations at Canis on Saturday. Very nice. Very nice. I, I'm hoping I'll be able to join you there. Yeah, that'd, that would be great. I'm uh, the the menu is pretty sparse. It just is like fish. <laughs> it's like one of the courses, and it's like dessert. It's like there's just eight lines of that, and I'm like, sure, let's see, let's see what you got, buddy. I'm, uh, Sounds good to me. To All right, uh, mm-hmm. James. Why don't I tell you about our agenda this week? Okay. 
I couldn't imagine what those four segments might be. <laughs> segment two is going to be our cards to watch, but okay. Segment one, this is going to be the cards that have changed most in price. Segment yeah, you confused me. Yeah, segment three, Medigan. We can review the Baltimore team open, uh, and finally, segment four, topic of the week. Gavin Barry put out a state of design article today with some nuggets that are worth mentioning. Uh, I have a feeling the interesting content is going to be in segment two this week. Let's start off segment one, our top movers. First card of the week, Tazia Orzov, Scion. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking now. Would you, would you like, would you like me to fill in the numbers so you can read it? No, I'm just going to Tazia Orzov, Scion, the non foils. I'm going to just guess here went from like two fifty to, uh, six. How close am try I? Four, try, try four to six dollars. Okay. I feel like that was a pretty good guess. I actually had no numbers yeah. in front of me. Yeah. Uh, so Tezia obviously is the original Ravnica printing of Tezia Karlov, same character essentially. essentially. Um, works very well with the theme of just sacrifice a bunch of creatures to do stuff, which the new Tezia wants you to do. Uh, so non-foils, a bump there, 50%. People clearly picking up copies for their own decks. I don't see the original... It's moving significantly in price, uh, much more than this. Wasn't there a reprint on this too? I didn't open up my tab yet. Wait, let me take. Uh, it was in the guild kit. Yes, that's what it was. This is why I didn't buy this card. There's a new printing of it in the guild kits, and I wasn't clear what the circulation on that was, so I stayed away. Sure. Um, we should we should make sure we correct ourselves because Discord was giving us shit from the last time we talked about uh, Tesa. T-E-Y-S-A. I think I've been saying Tessia for like forever um, on the assumption that she's some kind of like Russian figure. So so is it Tesa? Tesa? Tesa. I just think it's Tate. I just think it's Tesa probably given that it's an Americanized version of a Tesa. uh, Easternized name. But somebody has the exact pronunciation and feels like throwing it in our face again. Feel free. Can I share with you that I learned that it is pronounced hoisin sauce? I thought it was mm-hmm. Hassan, but it is not. It's uh-huh. Hoisin. So, yeah, and that's probably still wrong because our the accent is so, and the the specific syllables are so alien from yeah uh, Asian languages to English. That's what Merriam-Webster told me. Uh, yeah. After that, it's Thousand Year Elixir, uh, six to ten on the non foils. I wrote about this card a week ago, two weeks ago, because of uh, oh, who the heck was it? This is Vanifar, oh, Vanifar right? yeah, with Vanifar. Um, so not too surprising to see this. I mean, we, we even talked about this last week too, right? Uh, this mm-hmm. showed up, so it looks like more copies are just getting cleaned out. Yeah, I think this is like non, non-foils non um, making another move. The uh, <clears throat> There's a whole bunch of Tesla cards on this list, including Blood Artist, which was one of your calls from a couple weeks back. Foils from Eternal Masters going from 8 to 15 for an 87% gain. So that's a win for you, my friend. Yeah. Take him where I can get did him. You, did, you actually, did you actually follow some of your own advice? Uh, Well, actually, if you... Oh, no, I, you said Zulaport Cutthroat. That's yes, right. Yes, yes. I said Blood Artist was appealing, but I thought Zulaport Cutthroat might be a little better positioned. Mm-hmm. So you, do you, are you holding any Blood Artist? I don't think so. I don't. I didn't buy any on that news. I know I went looking for them. I've been kind of active with buying cards the last couple of weeks, but I haven't bought everything I've talked about because I've talked about like 10 cards. There's almost too much going on right now, to be honest. Plenty. There's never a shortage. 
Um, so the only big standard mover really on the list this week, am I right? Yep. Circuitous Root from uh, Guilds of Ravnica. Uh, moving from a dollar to two dollars on popularity of standard gates as a relatively interesting and budget-oriented option for standard. Now, this one I actually know it's circuitous. Yep. I enjoy that we can be as pedantic as humanly possible. <laughs> yep, fair <laughs> on <enough>. the pronunciations here. <laughs> they get they, they you know there's no shortage of pronunciation. Uh, Olympics <laughs> to uh, events to run through when attempting to name magic cards. That is certainly sure. true. Uh, the good old so, omniscience. Yeah. So a whole bunch of more Tesa cards. Uh, Athreos, God of Passage foils, uh, or sorry, I think that's non foils, moving from 1750 to 36 um, for 100% plus gain. This is. Uh, almost an auto include in the Tessa deck vindictive lich which was a uh, commander only card uh i can't remember if it's commander 2016 or 17 um, we're checking 17 yeah commander 2017 this is the um three and a black for a four one and it's a zombie wizard when it dies choose one or more each mode must target a different player Target opponent sacrifices a creature, target opponent discards two cards, and target opponent loses five life. So under Tesa, um, which doubles death triggers, uh, two opponents sacrifice creatures, two opponents discard two cards, and two opponents lose five life. That's pretty good value. Mm-hmm. It's a cool card. So, and that deck really needs the creatures to sacrifice. Like, there's a lot of effects, but not nearly as many uh, payoffs. Yeah, and this has got to be an auto-include single print run. Not surprised to see it doubling. Um, Crav the Unredeemed is a battle bond card um, that also has nice death triggers associated with it. Uh, it was part of a partner um, set, but I don't think you need the partner to make this work out in Tesa. Four and a black for a 3-3. Three, three. Black sacrifice X creatures. Target player draws X cards and gains X life. Put X plus one plus one counters on Crav. So if you pay a black, sacrifice three creatures, then you draw three cards and gain three life and turn him into a six six. Pretty pretty solid. Pretty solid. Mm -hmm. Works nicely with the others. Um, and then uh, a little out of keeping with that, Vault of Whispers foils from Mirrodin, which have never been reprinted. We talked about these a while back. This might even be in a pick of mine. Several months ago, um, seven dollars to twenty dollars. <clears throat> so hard for them to find a place to reprint these because anywhere where an artifact theme is uh, relevant, these are too good, and they're definitely not going to print them back into modern where they are banned. So uh, those foil uh, mirrored in artifact lands are probably going to continue to see upside. Uh, would be my guess for the foreseeable future. Okay. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I agree. I mean. I'm not going to see them very often. It's been, what, 15 years now since Mirrodin? Uh, probably pretty close to that. Very close. And Mirrodin yeah, because they, they were in World Championship decks in 2004. So that's 15 years on the button. Yeah. Uh, Hallowed Spirit Keeper, 2 to 650. Also, Tasia, uh, another one of the creatures that you really want to play. Um, I was surprised when I looked through EDA Trek at how many 
cards are in that deck that enable the sacrificing, but how few payoffs there are for sacrificing creatures. So something like Howled Spear, Spirit Keeper is very important because it's actually one of not that many creatures that you get rewarded for killing. Yeah. And Death Trigger is certainly more rare than comes into play triggers in general. And because Tesa is white-black, you can only use the ones from those colors in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so next we have another uh, Vanifar card. This time, uh, one of the ones that's being used in modern builds for Vanifar, um, but also fits into the EDH version. Um, Bounding Krasis is uh, taps or untaps a, a permanent, I believe, when it comes into play. Um, so you can pod your way into Bounding Krasis, untap Vanifar, and then pod again. Um, and Bounding Krasis plus uh, uh, Kiki Jiki is the same end result as if you have Restoration Angel or Pestermite or whatever, because you end up with infinite. Um, and then you can attack. So uh, not particularly surprised to see that Origins card making a move. You know, I find, I um, find that sort of amusing because... Bounding crisis, like what is what is the point of untapping your Vanifar if you're just going to sacrifice the bounding crisis again? Doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, but whatever. Well, because you could be pot. Uh, you mean if you're playing pot? Well, you could bed. be putting you could be putting the bounding crisis into play after she searched up. The Bounding Crisis, and then untapping her, and then she sacks another four drop to get Kiki Jiki. Oh, yeah, no, that makes more sense. Then never mind. It right. makes more sense. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be the tightest possible yeah. chain. The um, um, so then striped river winder out of here, uh, hour of devastation in the blue red cycling decks that are making use of living end, um, and. Uh, Stripe River Winder is an auto include because um, it cycles for one blue. So the foil's moving from a dollar to four dollars for a three hundred percent gain. Um, Midnight Reaper out of Guilds of Ravnica foil's going from three dollars to fourteen fifty. Um, I'm assuming this also is Tesa. Uh, mid- oh, because this is the one for two and a black. And I think when a non-token creature dies, you lose a life draw card. This has been in standard too, right? I'm f- yeah, but I don't, I'd be surprised if that was driving the foils. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. If we're talking about the foils, then yeah, it's Tezia. Tezia. I'm always going to say Tezia. I know it's wrong, but I'm still going to say Tezia. It's messing with me still too. So Midnight Reaper, according to EDH Rack, is currently reported in 590 decks, which is very respectable for how long it's been out. And 125 of them are Tesa. So sounds like we're on the right track. I there. swear I saw him um, in standard, wasn't didn't I? So then next on the list we have Sower of Discord, um, which was also a commander specific uh, card. Uh, Flying 6-6 six, six for 4 and 2 black. As Sword of Discord enters the battlefield, choose two players. Whenever damage is dealt to one of the chosen players, the other chosen player also loses that much life. That card's mostly played in like Xantia, Kalia, Rakdos, Lord of Riots. It's a cool creature. Don't see any particular, don't see any particular reason it should be taking off other than that people are constantly now focusing on what are the reasonably like popular 
single printing cards from the commander sets a couple years out is usually a pretty good time to see yeah. them take off. I mean, Commander 2018, this feels a little early. I would like to see another year or two on this, but it is a cool card. I should put this in my Rakdos deck. Um, Levi- now, Leviathan, I- Leviathan is our next card. Uh, dark copies, uh, obviously non-foil, 2 to 15. I-, I have mixed feelings about this. So Leviathan is a card which to me uh, holds great emotional resonance, and I don't have a reason for it. Or at least there's no event that Leviathan is a part of. You know, some people remember they remember the cards they won their first tournament with whatever, blah, blah, blah. There's none of that. It's just there's something about the frame of that card that it connects with my memory on some sort of instinctual level. And if I look at a dark Leviathan and I look at the right spot on the frame in the right light, I get like shivers down my spine and it's like this wave of nostalgia that's very difficult to explain. Um, So I actually have quite a few of these because I've been collecting them. uh, And I, so I have mixed feelings because it's really cool to see a card that I love and I have such a connection to like, oh, it's worth money. Uh, But also now I can't buy more, which is kind of annoying. Are, are, Are you not copying to buying, having bought them out? No, 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 no. I haven't bought nearly that many. Not nearly so that many. It was reprinted in Time Spiral in the Time Shifted cards. And the foils, yep. in theory, are our top gainer this week. Almost one of the top gainers of the year, <laughs> if you believe these numbers, which I don't. Um, starting price going from $1.60 to $70 for foils. I think you're going to have trouble finding a $70 out for your foil leviathans. Yeah, you're not. Foil printing ever. Even if I'm not, even I'm not paying seventy dollars, and I can't imagine there's people who like Leviathan more than me. Uh, yeah. I do own a couple of these. Maybe I should list one. <laughs> I, if I can. I'm, I'm not sure off. if somebody just w- is like Looney Tunes for the card, like you are, or there's like some weird combo we're missing. Um, but yeah, that's possible. I'm willing to let that pass me right by and not blink. Yeah, it's hard to imagine why Leviathan would be good and none of the other giant creatures would be, right? Like, what does Leviathan do that the rest of them don't? So, I don't see that being it. So, the final card on the list, uh, just below the Leviathan foils, is Great Oak Guardian um, that was printed in the Commander series. Um, Flash, Reach, 4, 5, for 6. When Great Oak Guardian enters the battlefield, creatures target player controls get plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn and untap them. So, that could be arguably useful in Vanifar. It shows up in 1,700 decks on EDH Rec, uh, including Geese on the Wanderer Bard, Selvala, Heart of the Wilds, Door in the Siege Tower. Plenty of disparate uh, commanders seem to have a use for the card. Um, so you could link the variety of commander cards in here and say that people were targeting commander single printing cards in the last week. Yeah, I mean, certainly... Certainly would appear that way, although, you know, all of them are defensible, but they're also, there's also a theme there, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on to cards to watch, but with a preface. Um, I want to cop to the little incident um, that I was involved in earlier this week where uh, a listener um shared third or fourth hand information about a card from the forthcoming war of the spark set so i was given a sneak peek at a banner mythic from that set which is pretty exciting um as opposed to when i was told about back to basics from a completely different source i decided this time to not reveal the card because i'm pretty certain it's going to be somebody's uh 
Um, that's going to be a card. big spoiler. Yeah, it's going to be a big preview, I would imagine. If you've and got I don't, Mythic. Yeah. And I don't want to wreck their spoiler. So I'm going to try th- a different track this time and <laughs> not reveal everything I know. But, and the Banner Mythic doesn't have like a new mechanic on it per se, but there are some hints I can draw from the card that line up with what we know so far about War of the Spark being the uh, the crescendo um, or climax, if you will, of the Nicol Bolas versus the Gatewatch arc that's been going on for like the last five years. We know that all of the Planeswalkers are coming together on Ravnica to battle Bolas. We know that he infiltrated Ravnica and took over several guilds. Um, we know the names of a variety of different Planeswalkers who are involved in all of this on both sides. And so we've known for a while that there's this kind of like super teams coming together thing. In fact, we talked about it months ago um, as that being the likely endpoint. And here we are. Looks like that's probably where we're headed. So it leads me to believe that while I don't know for certain, I was able to confirm a couple of suspected details I was suspecting from some other sources that have pointed me in the direction of thinking that this set is going to be the Planeswalkers Matters set. And I don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but we've done a lot of theory crafting um, on our Discord and with various contacts, and here are some things that I'd like to run by you. Okay. Planeswalkers at different rarities than Mythic. In a Planeswalkers Matter set, it seems pretty likely that we will get uncommon or rare Planeswalkers. And if we're going to get that many Planeswalkers um, in a set, it probably also means that they have to be uh, formulated differently. So I wouldn't expect three loyalty abilities. I would expect lower rarity Planeswalkers to have less abilities. Some of those abilities might be um, more basic, um, high utility, but relatively low impact overall. Um, they have to work in limited play as well as constructed, so they're going to they're gonna have to jump through some hoops and get kind of elastic in terms of how they define a Planeswalker. I would imagine that we will get more Planeswalkers Matters types cards, so a Wrath type effect that kills Planeswalkers, or some utility stuff that adds or subtracts loyalty, or takes control of Planeswalkers, or, you know, all these kinds of things. Um And we will probably get some pretty amazing banner mythic planeswalkers, including personalities that we can guess will be there. Um, Just based on promo art we've seen from uh, War of the Spark, Liliana and Gideon, Chandra and Jace, probably um, whichever planeswalkers are on Bolas's team that haven't shown up yet in the Ravnica sets. Bolas himself, um, I don't know for a fact if Ubin's there, but I wouldn't be surprised if he showed up. Um, So... If you believe that I'm on the right track, um, you know, and admittedly I have a little more information to point me in the right direction than most of you, um, there are a few cards that I think it's only fair to suggest people at least point their eyes towards so that when you realize that I bought these months and months ago when we first talked about them, <laughs> the fact that I end up selling them down the road doesn't come back and bite me in the ass when you claim insider trading or whatever. Yeah, and I have to say looking at what you've got on the spreadsheet here. I'm confident at least one of these we talked about anyways uh, a month, a couple months ago. So it's not even like they're necessarily all novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've talked about... Yeah, we, I, I think that actually all three of these have been on my list in the past. So 
this is really more about making sure that people stay on top of what could be relevant if I'm right and this is a Planeswalkers matter set. Yeah, and I will, you know, to to serve as something of a counterweight, uh, I will say that I find the idea of uncommon Planeswalkers uh, curious. I'm not sold on that. Um, It is intended to be a special card type, I think, and printing them all the way down the uncommon might take some of the oomph out of it as a card type so wizards might not want to go down that road but i could see possibly some rare ones at the very least i could see but again if you don't do if you do if you keep planeswalkers at mythics you still can't put that many in the set uh because there's only 15 mythic slots so they might push them down to rare they did do that with legendary creatures back in the kamigawa day there wasn't the mythic rarities but the legendary creatures were uncommon well we're not frequent and then they put every creature in a set as legendary. I don't know. I think there's, it's curious to see uh, what amount of design space they choose to work with and how hard they flex it. They could do a lot with it, but I wonder if they want to go so far as to do something like put them at uncommon. Yeah. And I should point out that I don't a hundred percent know that the card that I saw is real. Everything I saw about it in the context in which it was presented suggests to me that it's real, but I would say that my certainty level is about 85 or 90%. Yeah. So, and nothing, and the card doesn't prove the rest of my theory true. Let's put it that way. Um, so, I mean, it's, the concepts are connected, but I don't want you to, I don't want you rushing out to, <laughs> you know, spend your mortgage money on cards because I said, because you think I'm, more knowledgeable than I actually am. Yeah. So, um, on the plus side, most of these picks are probably still good picks, even if I'm wrong. Um, because if it's not a Planeswalkers Matter set, there are still going to be good Planeswalkers in it because they're pivotal to the story and so and so on and so forth. So, first pick, Chain Veil from M15 has not seen a reprint yet. Um, non-foils can be had in and around 10 to $12, depending on where you're buying them. I would say a sell target on those is 20 Looking for like a 67% gain on Planeswalker hype in the next six months. The downside here is that we know Liliana is going to be on the plane and this could be due for a reprint. It was printed in 2015. It's now 2019. Four years is about where you need to start thinking about maybe they might want to reprint something. And she has that artifact in her possession in the storyline. And if it is a Planeswalkers themed set, they might want to reprint this. Um... And if it doesn't appear here, they still have a history of printing complementary cards in other products later in the year if they want to keep that ball rolling or provide additional reasons for you to go back and buy cards from War of the Spark. Later, they might release the chain veil and, and have you connect the dots and put two and two together. Yeah. Um, so the foils might be safer. There's a pretty steep ladder on them. They're relatively scarce in supply. You can get them for about $40. So the buy-in's much higher, but if it doesn't see a reprint, then those foils probably hit 80. So uh, this uh, this was like the first card I went looking for um, when we mentioned this off-cast. And it's fascinating, but your concerns about the reprint are very valid to the point that I think this is one of the more likely reprint targets we've had a, as a pick on the cast before. And it's still fair to talk about. I think it's and my brain went to the same spot, but it's like it has been enough years um, and it fits within the story, it, you know, like, as you said, it's Liliana's there. She has in her possession, blah, blah, blah. 
And on top of that, if they reprint it here, it would be in foil, which is also a beating. Um, so you have that to, you know, it's not even like you get the foil, like where we talk about EDH foils getting reprinted commander sets, you know, the foils are safe. You don't have that out here because it would probably show up in foil. And they, and like you said, they could seed it later. So maybe it's not in War of the Spark, but maybe they put it in Magic 2021 or whatever the next core set is called. So um, that's, I, I think that that's the biggest axe hanging over the head of this card. Having said that, I still think the card is poised to do really well. So if it doesn't get reprinted, it seems like it could be one of the strongest gainers on today's list. Yeah. And one of the other risks is that in the reprint, it could get better art. And the better art, because the original is not in, you know, a pre-7th edition frame or something, um, there's no particular reason to chase it, even though it is the original printing. If the new art is better, that foil might actually do better longer term. And even my Russian and Japanese foils that I acquired a while back wouldn't be safe because they're going to get reprints. Mm-hmm. Because it's a standard legal set. Yep. So I think this one is, you know, the safest bet is probably the foils. Um, neither of them are super safe. And it's just a question of how much chicken you want to play. Because if we, if everybody finds out that I'm right in a, in a month, we find out it's a Planeswalker themed set and we got a couple of preview cards or something, then everyone's going to be going after these cards. And it's just a question of whether you want to be part of the rush or you want to be in ahead of it with a little more risk. And I would love to be the one selling to the speculators. <laughs> That's a good spot to be yeah. in. So the next card on your list is the one that I lost the bet with, <laughs> uh, with Cliff. What was the bet? I don't remember. I think I bet him that within six months or a year of this card coming out, it would top eight a standard tournament. Ah. And it did not, right? Correct. Okay, just making sure. Uh, so that card, for those unfamiliar with the bet history of our cast members, is Deploy the Gatewatch, which is the other card that I thought of when uh, we started talking about this. Deploy the Gatewatch uses the six mana white sorcery that you look at the top seven cards of your library and you can put two Planeswalkers into play. Uh, obviously quite potent if you have a Planeswalker Matters set. Uh, with that's heavy on the planeswalkers. Uh, foils right now are 350. Uh, supply is moderate. I think there's maybe 30 ish copy pack foils on TCG play right now, and a couple more promos, maybe a dollar more. Uh, I think it was three, maybe, maybe this was like five. Maybe I, I got the, maybe it was more like 450 or five, not 350. In either case, uh, it's definitely five or below right now. Um, and I mean, if we see a ton of planeswalkers, not only is this going to, people are going to be going back and putting these in their commander decks. They might be brewing up new decks. Um, so I think the foils are, are pretty strong at that point uh, to move up towards, you know, 12, $15 or so, you know, it's a mythic. That's a couple of years old at this point, two years old. Um, just seems like it's going to have a good day. All things considered. And we're in a, position where attracts the planeswalkers is still one of the most popular commander decks of all time the the number one if you believe the track well attracts it is but she has a bunch of different builds sure um so how, how much of that is planeswalkers is debatable but the um 
gives four color, a set full of planeswalkers is only going to feed into that further. And deploy the gate watch is white. She's got white. So at minimum, it fits in there. And then just take however many other planeswalkers you think might make good commanders coming out of this product and keep in mind that they've had a focus on giving us hot commanders um, the last few years. So play the gate watch gets good. And if you want to time, try to pinpoint when I learned information. <laughs> All you got to know is that two weeks ago, I sent FOIO deploy the gate watches in as a failed spec to a buy list. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't know if I'm going to be able to bring myself to buy them back from the same people, but I guess we'll see. <laughs> well, I mean, it's no different than the stores, uh, you know, buying cards from a store on a spec and then getting paid off and then sending it into their buy list, which I've done on more than one occasion. So you're just, you're just going the other Fair. way for once. Uh, you've got, you've got more on this topic for us. Yes. One of the other cards that I think you need to be looking at if we believe we're getting a ton of planeswalkers, especially if you believe we're getting really, if they're going to do a bunch of crazy things with planeswalkers, and one of those crazy things might be really low casting cost planeswalkers, like the first zero or one casting cost planeswalker with some very minor effect, um, or a two casting cost planeswalker that is very popular, um, might be the kind of thing that finally makes Mox Amber useful, maybe in standard, maybe in modern maybe increases its value in EDH, where it's already seeing a modicum of play. Um, keep in mind, Mox Amber is a zero casting cost Mox, legendary artifact. When you tap it, add one mana of any color among legendary creatures and planeswalkers you control. So if you can get drop an early uh, planeswalker on two or one, and then drop a Mox Amber, that is very solid. Um, uh, acceleration and if you're playing a bunch of planeswalkers in your deck in one of those formats then the card is likely to continue to produce for the rest of the game this is the card that i wanted to pick for this week but you had already put it on the spreadsheet so i had to leave it for you but box amber and positive i put on here on the spreadsheet like two or three months ago when we talked about it. Yep. And um, so we both have just been basically waiting for a reason to pull the trigger on this. And this seems like as good as any other to finally get in. I know I'm going to be looking for copies of this in the next couple days uh, to see what I can snag uh, because I just like it so much. And I do, it does seem to make sense as well because it, you know, Dominaria had some legendary creatures and planeswalkers, but it wasn't, really heavy on that theme in the way that would seem to support Mox Amber. So it's kind of curious, like, well, why would they print this if they're not going to give you enough support for it? Well, it's because they gave you a little bit extra in Dominaria and then in War of the Spark, they're giving you a bunch more. Uh, so maybe that's kind of the angle here that it gets an additional boost of utility with War. So, uh, and there's, a, and there's like also them. a bunch of two, three, and four casting costs um, legends from the last two Ravnica sets that um, uh, could between the Dominaria legends, the Ravnica legends and some new planeswalkers at low enough casting cost, maybe that's what turns Mox Amber on. And again, the downside of Mox Amber is that if we're wrong about all this then your fallback is, well, eventually they kind of make modern legacy and there's a new post-modern format coming in the next couple of years that will be driven from Arena and in that world, eventually Mox Amber gets turned on because Mox Opal will not be reprinted into that format. Mm -hmm. And eventually you might get a preponderance of cards that makes it worthwhile to play the card. Yeah. Um, and, and if none of that in Constructed works out, 
EDH will eventually chew up enough copies of Mox Amber to give it some reasonable gains. And it's held up remarkably well in terms of price, given that it's not played really anywhere other than some modest EDH play. That suggests there's plenty of casual demand. Yeah, which is not surprising at all, given that Planeswalkers are a very popular casual card type. Sure. Um, I'm on board. My uh, my second card for the week is uh, I'm off the Planeswalker train at this point. Um, instead, I'm going to go a different direction. Uh, I was browsing the Nikya of the old ways lists now that uh, they've she's been out for a week or two and the decks have had a little more chance to flesh out. But I really like the look of Beast Whisperer at the moment. Um, Beast Whisperer is the four mana two three that has just a permanent glimpse of nature stapled to it. Uh, foil copies are about five bucks right now. Um, and I like those to go up towards 15 supply is, uh, is okay on it right now. I'm seeing probably less than 20 foil copies of the pack of the pack foils. Oh no, sorry. That's the pre-release. So less than 20, the pre-release copies and another, what are we looking at here? Probably another 20, 18 listings. Yeah, 25 so. total copies, maybe of the non-promo. So still kind of low. Um, and remember, Nikki just came out. So there's going to be continued demand on this card because uh, it's going to be really good in that deck since you can't play non-creature spells. So it's going to need to find all the creature drawing effects that it can. So all that combined, I like this. It's in a fair number of decks already. It's looking like, uh, wait, I can tell you how many it's in. 1,400 for a card that just came out. It's actually a really strong uptake, right? Because this is in Guilds of Ravnica, so it's three months, and it's at 1,500 EDH decks. It's a lot of decks. Yeah, that's hot. I, I think this one's a slam dunk, and and maybe it's just the safest pick in the in the whole list, given that my picks are all based on unknown information that is not 100% confirmed. This one, it's all laid out in front of you. Like this, this is uh, a card that is already at relatively low supply early on in its printing. It's not seeing any standard play. That's not what's driving the foils. It's not a modern card. It's purely an EDH card, and EDH players are buying up the foils, and they should be because it is a druid and an elf. Those are two tribes that have EDH decks built around them to start with that want to uh, draw cards when they cast creatures. Then you've got a new commander that leverages that ability and it's open-ended for any other commander that wants to make use of similar themes. All of that adds up to these are easily 10, 15, $20 foils. Yep. Not so far down. So probably pick up some of these too. That's a good. One. <laughs> on fire lately, bro. All right. What do you got for us? All right. So my last uh, Planeswalkers matters card is uh, a throwback to Dominaria. Another card that has seen almost no standard play um, since it was released and has a modest amount of EDH play, um, but is likely to see more if I'm right about where this set is headed. So I'm talking about Oath of Teferi. This is the legendary enchantment for three white blue. Um, when it enters the battlefield, you exile another target permanent you control, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. And more importantly, you can activate the loyalty abilities of planeswalkers you control twice each turn instead of once. Um, this is interesting because it's basically uh, an analog to the chain veil that isn't going to see a reprint. Foil, non foils are 50 cents 
and non-foils are $2. So is this going to see standard play in, in a Planeswalker deck? Maybe. Um, activating Teferi twice if you've got a bunch of other Planeswalkers uh, seems pretty appealing. Um, but if it doesn't, $2 foils for EDH purposes seem very likely to hit in the long term. I would target an exit over $8 and feel pretty confident that buy lists will eventually catch, catch up to 5 6 7 something like that. Um, but I think it's a relatively long-term hold with potential short-term upside if I'm right about the hype cycle that might be engaged once people realize what the set's all about. Yeah, this was obviously, you know, I had basically all three of your picks of the week in my head before I opened the spreadsheet. Um, so I was also on on track with this. I, didn't, I hadn't checked the prices yet. This is in standard. It's tough. Um, so you figure this is five mana. So if you have one planeswalker in play, well, if, if you have zero planeswalkers in play, Oath of Teferi is worse than having drawn a planeswalker. If you have one walker in play, he buys you one additional loyalty use a turn for a total of two loyalty uses. But you could have done that by casting a second planeswalker anyway. So he's still not better than a planeswalker. Um, all in really, you could have just cast a fairy anyways. And even if you already have to fairy and the other planeswalkers would have been fine. If you have two planeswalkers in play and you cast Oath, you are now at four loyalty uses uh, over two. Uh, but if you had played a, a third planeswalker instead, you'd be at three. So you're gaining plus one loyalty. Is the lack of a planeswalker body worth more, you know, worth less than the extra ability? Well, you know, I'd rather. N- in a vacuum, you'd rather have an extra planeswalker card than the enchantment because it can be it has to be attacked and it loses loyalty, which is better than an enchantment, which doesn't fog your opponents. So, you know, it actually takes a couple planeswalkers in play before this does work for you. So it's not to say that it can't be used in standard, but it definitely feels like it's got some hoops to jump through. Now, all of that's for standard and maybe modern. For EDH, this card is bonkers because you're going to pull that off frequently. It survives easier than Planeswalkers will tend to. And it's not hard to get into a position where you have a ton of those things in play where it really gets out of control. So I definitely like foils here, uh, especially if they're only two bucks. That seems so cheap to me. Um, I mean, that's cheaper than I would have expected. I didn't realize it was that low. So I'm I'm on that yeah. train for sure. Yeah, I know that Teferi is a little older than Beast Whisperer, like at six months older, but has gotten up to that level of demand already. And that's without getting a pile of new planeswalkers. And what if one of the planeswalkers, and I'm not I don't think this is something they would do often, but maybe as a one time thing as part of this planeswalkers matters theme, is has loyalty ability loyalty loyalty abilities which are relatively modest but can be used at instant speed. Yeah. Possible. Um, Oath of Teferi exiles a permanent you control, returns it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So it doesn't it doesn't blink a planeswalker, which would let you use the planeswalker, blink it, double use it again for three total activations. It deliberately only lets you get that planeswalker's ability loyalty back up if you've been subtracting from it. But if there's an instant speed planeswalker, then it could you could da- knock it down and then play Oath of Teferi and play it on your opponent's turn. Or, if you think that theory is bogus, how about this one? Um, Oath of Teferi is uh, generally going to be unplayable in standard because you generally rather ca- cast a Planeswalker like Karn um, than you would a 5-mana casting cost enchantment that does nothing by itself. 
But it gets a lot better if you had a planeswalker curve. If your planeswalker curve went one, two, three, four, instead of some like ramp, kill, like stall spell, kill spell, like counter spell, kill spell, or whatever, into Oath of Teferi, the problem there is that you have a five casting cost planeswalker you drop, you want to drop, and a five casting cost enchantment that makes it better. So you're you have competition on curve but if you went one two three four oath of teferi and all of them get to double up on that turn that's a little bit more interesting uh yeah i completely agree with you on that point is that if you can manage to put 20 planeswalkers in a deck and they don't all cost five mana the card gets a lot more a lot more curious uh you know if you can kind of curve up with walkers so yeah that is a stretch for sure, but it does open the door to that being a possibility. Yeah. All right. So I got one more pick this week that I don't think is a stretch in the slightest um, that Cliff and I were both talking about on the Discord <laughs> um, earlier this week. One of the Guilds Ravica cards that uh, I've said before gave me the most hope uh, for the future of MTG Finance in the sense that um, everybody missed it up front and now it's everywhere is Arclight Phoenix. Um, which has already made people money in non-foil and foil. But but Arclight Phoenix is currently available in non-foil for about $20. It's a four of Mythic that's being played in Standard, Modern, and most recently Legacy. At a Legacy event this weekend, it was doing bonkers amount of work in in a Legacy uh, Grixis deck. Um, uh, Let me just find that list if I can. You know, while you're looking, I saw... Uh, somebody, I don't remember who, got tweeted into my timeline that uh, they had just written a legacy article for Star City and were asking people to go read it uh, because uh, Cedric, the editor at Star City, said that legacy articles don't get that much traction and they weren't really that interested in running the articles. So uh, I I, wow. I know it has been much more... My, my, Comments years ago, in fact, the first article I wrote kind of on MTG Finance in the public sphere was that Legacy was going to die, and it was much maligned at the time. And I feel like, sorry, we don't want your Legacy articles because nobody reads them is a pretty good indication I was not wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing is, you know, I've been echoing that theme and and yelled at myself for the last few years. Um, and And I don't feel like, I'm not like, Ha, suck that legacy players. Like I like legacy too. Right. Um, but if you're looking, you know, trying to help people to manage their collections in a responsible way, then that was information we needed to be sharing. right. So I'm not happy it came true, but I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Arclade Phoenix is, has posted up as like, I think it was like a 15 and one or a 16 and O like legacy tournament survivor Jeez. or something last weekend. Um, in a, in a Grixis, uh, like it's it's the same kind of thing. It's a Grixis spells list, which uh, does like buried alive to dump all the phoenixes in the graveyard, <laughs> um, and then cast a bunch of cantrips and bust out for like n- nine damage a turn. <laughs> um, it's pretty nasty. I think they were doing dark rituals into it or something. It's dark rituals and faithless lootings and brainstorms and whatever. Hasn't there been a better um, buried alive target? Like ah, that seems odd. Like Vengevine's not easier. I don't know. The the point is this. Arclight Phoenix is the definition of a multi-format superstar. It's probably the closest thing to Snapcaster Mage we've had. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I can't think. I can't think of another creature that that is as important to Magic as Arclight Phoenix is right now, um, across multiple formats. And as a result, okay, it just got printed. They're not going to. The only real risk here is that standard Challenger decks might have copies, um, and then it comes becomes a question of how many copies: one copy, two copy, whatever. I don't think that really matters long term. Like those decks do relatively well, but they don't flood the market with the cards that are within them for all that long. And um, it's going to be in standard for another year and a half. It just came out last fall. Yeah. So between that modern and legacy play, very good chance that that like say next fall or so that could be a 30 to $40 mythic and it might drop at rotation and give you another entry point, And then Two years out, it's not gonna you're not gonna have seen a reprint. And as long as modern is still being played, and I think modern still has at least two or three years of significant play, um, even if modern becomes legacy, legacy faded slowly over the course of about four to five years. Um, yeah. I, so I, I was actually just thinking about this earlier today, and I don't remember what what made me think about it. But uh, if they do announce a new format, they're not going to say let's let's just say it's Frontier for the sake of argument. Okay. Uh, on Friday, Frontier is now a thing, and uh, we're shuttering Modern. Modern's done. Um, you can't play it anymore. They're not going to do that. They let Vintage go. They've let Legacy continue to exist. Um, they're just—they're not going to announce. If they say here's a new format, they're not going to announce anything in regards to Modern. Like they're not going to say we're we're cutting support or any of that. They're just going to say we have a new format. That's what's cool. And now it's another way to play. And what you'll see is a slow decline in the number of Modern events that show up. But Wizards isn't going to do anything really to push people off of Modern into this new format other than really probably move a couple GPs over from Modern to the new one, just like they did kind of like what Star City did with, with Modern and Legacy, right? As it was all standard and Legacy, and then they started running fewer and fewer Legacy events and more and more Modern ones. So Wizards would move in that direction. But the point is that Modern will continue to exist for quite a while, even after a new format shows up, partly because M- Wizards know they will piss pe- really piss people off if they burn modern to the ground immediately and people have been building these collections for the format. And, and they don't need to. Like, they're not really selling many new cards to the legacy players. So introducing postmodern is about selling people standard postmodern and legacy decks. It's about trying to go from two major formats to three. Yep. You know, it's, it's stretching the wallet. It's not, you, you don't want to kill modern immediately. You want to let it fade as postmodern grows, modern fades, and you see where you end up. Yeah. Now, here's, now here's the other thing. Arclight Phoenix will be part of that format <laughs> because you can argue and debate over whether or not it goes back to Origins or KTK or if it goes back to Guilds of Ravnica. I mean, sorry, not uh, Kaladesh, but it's certainly going to include Guilds of Ravnica. So Arclight Phoenix could be a postmodern card as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, really, I, I think I think you're likely to see post whatever the postmodern format is probably start with Ixalan, maybe even earlier. And I say that because Ixalan was the first set on Arena, um, so it's there, it's ready. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I mean, there's no reason for Wizards to cut modern at all, just because it costs them nothing to let it exist. So I don't see any likelihood of ArcLight Phoenix being pushed down in price anytime soon um if you manage to get them on an ebay sale or something all the better if you can get them for 15 16 17 18 if you can trade out of something else that's fading into those great but 
yes, it was so much better to get these at five or six dollars and be prescient. But I would not be scared of buying Arclate Phoenix at twenty dollars, looking to double up within a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I really have no grounds on which to contest this. I think the only issue that I could claim to have with Arclight Phoenix is that it might not be as fast as a lot of the other options that we see. Um, you know, you might be able to, you might see returns on something like Mox Amber or or Beast Whisper pretty quickly, uh, whereas Arclight Phoenix might take eight months, six months, something like that. Maybe, maybe. So top. But my, my final, my, just my thought was it might not be quite as fast, but it is pricey, which means that if you have a good chunk of change that you want to invest and you're not sure where to put it, it's easy to do it with because instead of buying $101 cards, you can buy five $20 cards. When it does, if it, when it does go up, it will be, um, in demand so you won't have to sell one at a time slowly you can dump place quickly so it's like the amount of work required to make your money on arclight phoenix will be considerably less than a lot of the other stuff which may have higher percentage returns or slightly faster returns so currently on magic online arclight phoenix is the 14th most played card in the format and the second most played creature after only the aforementioned Snapcaster Mage. Yeah, I believe it. So, so pretty big deal. Um, all right, so moving right along, let's talk about uh, some of the decks that showed up at the Baltimore Team Open, which was a, I believe, standard modern legacy teams event that Star City Games was running in Baltimore this weekend. So not always the best representation of a one-on-one format, um, but still some pretty sexy decks that showed up there. Yeah, and congratulations to uh, the winners. I know one of the first place competitors was a fan favorite. Um, I looked through the the modern stuff and it didn't really blow me away. Uh, I mean, at least in the sense that there was nothing there that I felt like was new to me. Um, you know, some is it so, Phoenix, well, Death Shadow, Titan? Okay, okay, but slow down. Is it Phoenix in the hands of uh, SCG's own Ryan Overturf um, in first place uh, for the modern players? Check out the green spell in that deck. Uh, did I? I must have missed that. Four, four traverse the oh. Olven Wall oh, yes. in his Arclight Phoenix deck. So that's brilliant, right? Like, mwah, because you're dumping all these card types into the graveyard, and then you traverse and put the Phoenix in your hand so that you can discard it to Faithless Looting or using a Lightning Axe. And he gets to he runs the Mishra's Bobble package, so he's ba- basically running the Jund Death Shadow package in his Arclight Phoenix Teamer build. Uh, so wait, what's the Mishra's Bobber Bobble? Is the is the Bobble because that that gives you a card that gives you a card type, card type. and it shrinks your deck size uh, for, for Traverse, right? Because Traverse needs to turn on Traverse, you need to have four card types in the graveyard, and then it becomes a single green demonic tutor for creatures. Yeah. Uh, that I mean, I had I. You're right. I hadn't noticed this. That is that is clever. That's clever. Hmm. And then in second place, Phoenix deck wins. There's basically two versions of Phoenix. Now we've got well three. Now we've got blue red classic. We've got the teamer build now, and then there's a mono red build which uh, Caleb Durward uh, was making popular on his stream. Arclight Phoenix's Bedlam Reveler, Monastery Swift Serpent, Soul Scar Mage, and of course they're running four Skewer the Critics and four Light Up the Stage, just like the Burn decks yeah. are which is why I'm running around picking up foil Russian copies of both. I did, I did notice the light up the stage. 
and Scooby the right, Critics. Right, right, right. The Scooby the Critics. Yeah, both of them. Yeah. Those have just been automatic includes in red decks throughout modern. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the both of them make sense. They were both, you know, you get another lightning bolt and you get an effect that the deck desperately wants. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the this the modern decks was Death Shadow, Amulet, Titan, Death Shadow, Dredge, Urzatron, and Burn. Um, over in Standard, the Standard portion of that event, they had White Weenie in first place, Sultai Aggro in second, uh, Bant Tokens, Esper Control, Esper Control, Esper Control, Nexus Reclamation, um, the most hated deck in the format, <laughs> um, even though it's not doing that well, and Esper Control. Um, I guess one of the big pieces of news in the Magic world this week was Shahar Shenhar uh, becoming a meme on the basis of his opponent, like, working the rope in magic arena to take like infinite turns and just slow the game down and dare him to quit for like two and a half hours or something mm-hmm. to the point where the guy got banned for doing yeah. it. temporary apparently. But yeah, I, I, I find that all very fascinating. One, um, I'm kind of curious why it, I wonder if anyone has auto hotkeyed this because you can use auto hotkey to just build a script that just does all of this for you. And then you really could just walk away from your computer uh like you could if you're the bad guy you can build a script that just plugs this puts in this input series of command inputs over for inputs in for you over and over and over again so you could turn it on and walk away from your computer and your opponent has to sit there and keep answering yes to the game or else they lose because yours is just running automatically which makes it even funnier because if you're on your hard side you can set up an auto hotkey to just keep hitting yes and now it's a challenge to see who turns your computer off first because you could let your game run for days or weeks <laughs> which is kind of yeah. funny uh when you consider it but it certainly points to the need possibly for uh different ban lists in st- in arena and standard or paper which wizard said they could do and they w- they may do um they're open to the idea it is i'm you know I, I know a lot of people are hoping to see nexus banned before the mythic championship so that we don't have to put up with this um Although the combination of split ban lists and people being split up between best of three and best of one in the competitive uh, ladders on Arena just fractures the standard community to the point where it's going to be like kind of awkward. Yeah, I don't disagree. And, uh, you know, realistically, how often are you going to see separate ban lists, right? Like they're not going to pull that trigger unless they really need to. And uh, I don't think any in the case of arena, they're not even doing it because the cards boss said they're just doing it because it's although I guess, you know, if, if you were to say if you have a card that's getting banned because it's too good, then you want to ban on both platforms. So you keep you keep consistency. But if you have a card like Nexus of Fate, which you're banning because it's unwieldy on arena, but not in paper, well, you ban it in arena because it makes the games last forever and you need to get rid of it, but it's still good enough to see play. So now you actually do end up with separate meta games, which is what they would like to avoid. So I do, but I mean, realistically, you're not going to see them execute on that plan very often, but it does seem like they should just do it in both formats for consistency's sake. Cause I agree. If you do end up in a situation exactly like the, like the one we're facing right now, it's going to be real messy when you have literally two different meta games because the card is good enough to see play in paper, but unwieldy enough that they want to get rid of it on arena yeah all right so why don't we move on to our final topic of the week which is the state of magic design as explained by uh gavin there can we 
Can we take a moment to acknowledge that I don't think this guy has a worked a day in the wizard's office in his life because every photo he posts on Twitter, <laughs> he's in another country. And I am genuinely curious how he both gets his work done and affords it. He's, he's a busy dude. I just, I don't understand it. Like he is not in the country. It's like half of the year. I want to know. Yeah. I mean, he, he's making appearances with the professor busy guy to tell all right so let's he basically what gavin did was he wrote an article where they went through all the products that they put out uh the non-standard products um so all of their ancillary products master's products and so forth from 2018 and kind of explained how they thought they did how both a a combination of how they were received and how they sold um which is fairly rare insight from wizards we don't get a lot of information about how things did and it's not like they're naming revenue numbers or anything like that's still top secret. But they're, you know, he's he's giving us glimpses of whether this thing was better or worse um, in the market than we might have expected. So the first thing they did was they broke down the you know Masters twenty five and Ultimate Masters. Spent most of his time talking about um, Ultimate Masters being you know the makeup set for Mad- Masters twenty five, which people were somewhat disappointed with. And revealed that people that had guessed it was originally Graveyard Masters were actually right. In fact, it was apparently called Immortal Masters. Because remember, Iconic Masters was a themed set. Then they were doing the theme of the 25th anniversary. And then the next one was planned to be uh, about the graveyard. Um, And halfway through design, they decided they wanted to juice the set. And it ended up being Ultimate Masters when they dumped a whole bunch of needed reprints into it. So people had like guessed at that but i was a little stunned to see them a admit it out loud and b that people were right i mean there were certainly a lot of graveyard themed cards that needed reprinting that showed up in that set but i was i you know immortal masters is a much worse set so Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's it's a good thing that they went with ultimate uh yeah that is it is odd if only because graveyard masters uh is not fair magic Right. Like that is such a traditionally unfair build. It's odd to build an entire master set around it. But uh, you're the product designer, not me. Um, He did go on. He also made a point of saying that there are no master set at all on the horizon. Nothing. No, uh, no bolts in that chamber. So uh, but he did stress and he continued the stress for the entire article and every product he talked about the reprint factor and making sure there were enough reprints out there so you know one of the large themes in this article is basically there are no more master sets as you know them at least not anytime soon but reprints are clearly to me very important so we're going to make sure that we put them everywhere to keep you guys satisfied Um, and he specifically mentioned the glass commander product one with like a minotaur and lord wingrace and how uh, basically he liked them, but the major complaint he's hearing is there weren't enough reprints. And it's like, we hear you loud and clear for this year, guys. So uh, reading between the very obvious lines, I would expect a lot of reprints in the Commander product this year, um, which for us means you want to make sure you're not holding non-foil Commander cards headed into later this year. Uh, I don't remember when the Commander spoilers start. I think it's in like October. It looks like they're overdue for a reprint. 
Yeah, yeah. Later in the year, I know that. But foils are still going to look pretty good because they're, we have no reason at this point to expect them to show up yet. Um, although I know that that's going to come eventually, or it could. But uh, no reason yet, so your foils are still pretty good. Yeah. The They also talked about the Welcome decks and the Planeswalker decks and pointed out that the Planeswalker decks in particular, these are the ones that had uh, a booster pack and then a unique version of a Planeswalker that was kind of uh, low power level um, and a bunch of related cards. Uh, so, for instance, a Johnny, the Planeswalker deck, apparently were one of their best-selling uh, uh, casual-focused deck products of all time. Hmm. Um, not a thing I've even picked up. I've seen it, but never touched it. Um, and apparently the Spell Slinger starter kit uh, was that it did fine-ish. Magic Game Night... Um, was more of a kind of a specialty product and they felt like the, the decks they 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 forced the the game night decks to draw from a specific card pool that was related to standard and they felt like in the future they might relax that so that they had more control over making great decks instead of trying to print like give you standard cards out of those decks um, they said challenger decks are definitely going to be an ongoing thing because they were very popular and I suspect, through other whispers I've heard recently that we're going to... Well, first of all, we know that they said that there's a major announcement for modern players towards the end of February. I suspect, we've talked about this before, that we're getting the first time uh, a supplemental set early summer or late spring that will include cards for modern that have never been printed anywhere else. So um, some combination maybe of reprints plus new cards would be my guess. Um, And that will take the Battle Bond type slot. Um, yeah, the I suspect we may also get separately um, modern challenger decks. So these will be like burn for modern and tokens for modern and blue, red, whatever, whatever, like relatively cheap modern decks do decently well at, say, tier two, um, sometimes top eight tournaments. I would be keep an eye on those as something you might not want to be too deeply invested in. Um, if you've got specs related, because that could be the kind of thing that are getting printed in non-foil, at least in these modern challenger decks, if they show up. And this would yeah. be like this would be the extension of the modern event deck. We had a black white token deck like four or five years ago that didn't sell very well at the time, but actually ended up being worth a lot of money um, because they were languishing on shelves. People were snapping them up, them up around 50, 60, 70 dollars. I think the original price point was seventy four ninety nine or something for those. And later they were worth 180 or nine or $200. Yeah. They put something in there that what it was, a bunch of path of exiles and lingering souls and, and uh, maybe inquisitions of Kozilek or something. Well, it's definitely not the lingering souls. And I say that as somebody who's got like 60 of them that I saved from dark Ascension, which they then proceeded the reprint 80 times. (laughs) So your card's been reprinted more times than I have copies of it. (laughs) It's also possible that they're, that we're not getting those two products that maybe it is modern challenger decks where they take decks that aren't quite good enough for modern, like stuff you've seen on streams or in the fringes Mm -hmm. and they print a new card to make those decks better. So like what yeah. if they took what if they printed Merfolk and gave them a new Merfolk that made Merfolk viable again or sure. gave it a step up um that could easily be a thing. Yeah, so uh first thing I want to point out is that if you're patting yourself on the back for recognizing that they're going to print cards that are legal and modern and didn't pass through standard uh slow down because 
everyone was talking about that. I remember when they announced Modern Masters, my first reaction was, oh, maybe they'll reprint, maybe they'll print cards that are legal in Modern yeah, and not in Standard. Talking about it 20, yeah, it was 2013. So uh, I just want to lay claim to that concept. <laughs> At least <laughs> oh, okay. it wasn't, it wasn't possible that anyone had the idea earlier than I did. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take, take, this is my chance to be uh, arrogant. Um, Fair. I, I do think that it is a really good time for it. Uh, especially with the fact that modern has gotten pretty uh, tuned is probably the wrong word, but they used to talk about it being a turn four format. I'm not sure that that's really f- a fair description anymore, but legacy was a turn three. Modern was a turn four. Like you might not be dead on turn four, but you've lost the game before turn four. Um, it seems like, and that's one of the things that people are frustrated with. It's just, they're just so fast. So they, and the standard sets are less and less likely to shake up modern every time because you've got a larger and larger card pool. So it's harder and harder for new cards to impact it. Obviously, is it Phoenix has done a pretty good job, but that doesn't happen all the time. So this is their way to, to try and strengthen some archetypes that they otherwise are having trouble finding cards for in standard. So given that we're moving away from masters, this does seem like a way to inspire a lot of excitement in the format now that we're missing a, a linchpin product, which has previously been used to generate hype and drive sales there. Uh, so I think it's a reasonable expectation. And the other two angles are that if they're sunsetting it over some period of time, you may as well make it cheaper in its sunset years, a little cheaper. And also it seemed more accessible. That's a PR win, um, less for players to complain about. Um, although if they introduce broken cards into the format, they'll find fresh things to complain about. Um, and Nexus of fate, but it costs three. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. So, I mean, the, the bottom line is that if you print fresh cards into modern, it can shake things up. It might introduce new decks in the format. It might make old decks good enough to suddenly compete. Um, and if you're going to rotate the format out, you know, then you're getting this chance to make things cheaper and away you go. Yeah. I, I guess I would also point out too that there are certain archetypes that are more likely to be hit by that kind of thing than others. So I would, for instance, think that merfolk or elves any sort of tribal deck is uh more in reach of them trying to print a challenger deck of and add some spice to than something like amulet titan which is such a weird deck and has so many specific pieces that it seems like it'd be very difficult to print a maybe not I mean, not even budget but sort of like half built version of that deck right like that's just not going to work in um, the same way that you couldn't really build, like you couldn't half print KCI. Uh, so just keep that in mind that certain archetypes are safer than others. It doesn't mean the cards are necessarily safer, but uh, just a thought. So some decks under $150 for modern include combo elves, metallurgic drakes, restore balance. Metallurgic drakes? Metallurgic drakes is, what is that? metallurgic summonings with Enigma Drake and Crackling Drake and a whole bunch of red and blue cards. What? <laughs> um, you also have Red Black Reanimator, Goblin Storm, Mono Red Frenzy, Artifact Blast, and Pelt Evolver. Pelt Collector Evolution. All That's are under $150. 
Alt Collector is a deck in Modern. These are these are bad decks that probably people like Saffron played at various points on stream. This is like Cloudfin, Raptor, Experiment 1, Pelt Collector, Young Wolf, Avatar of the Resolute, and Strangle Root Geist. I've made this deck before in form, various forms. Pongify, Rapid Hybridization, Vapor Snag, Chart of Course, and Substantiate. That costs like 13 ticks on Magic Online and $88 in paper. Well, I guess, I, I mean, I'm sure people have sleeved the cards up. I'm just surprised that it's like an archetype. Right, like well, I, mean, I sleeved up Spellweaver decks, World like, Fire, but that doesn't mean that there's a Spellweaver deck in Modern. Well, I get, what I'm getting at is, I they're not going to print. Is it Phoenix, which is currently a $900 deck? Grixis Death Shadow is a $1,000 deck. Burn is a $600 deck. Dredge is $600. Bant Spirits is a thousand. Jund is $1,600. Those decks are not going to suddenly get a even a $200 price point. That's just way too much vendor inventory to like suddenly undercut. So much more likely that they give you, they either give you a cheap deck and give it some new cards so that suddenly it's competitive, or they give you a shell. Like they might print burn as a challenger deck, but it's not tuned in the same way that the standard challenger decks were not fully tuned versions. Like a challenger deck that comes with an Arclight Phoenix isn't going to win you the tournament, but it can get you in the door and let you start build. It gets you the core of the deck for a discount and then you're going to have to pay full freight for the final 60 or 40 50 60 percent of your deck well that's funny because burn is literally just commons and uncommons and then four arc light phoenix right so it's like all right well we'll give you 72 71 cards and you have to find the other four that are forty dollars a piece. I mean, not that it's the mana base, right? Like wooded foothills cost you seventy two bucks in paper. Your bloodstained Myers cost you seventy five bucks. You need three path to exile. You need four Eidolon of the Great Revel. That's twenty bucks. Goblin guides is eighty bucks. It adds up. Is it? Uh, that one playing it. I mean, the one the one from the modern event, the second place Phoenix deck wins isn't playing any of that. Right. Well, I mean, there's there's several. There's at least three different versions of red right now. There's like Phoenix Red. There's uh, White Red, and then there's the new Black Red where they're using Bump in the Night. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I was thinking of the hyper aggressive one that just p- purely lightning bolts in our Phoenix. But yeah, there's other builds. Yeah. So anyway, um, interesting to see what we get out of that. Uh, they also said Battle Bond did well. They were happy with how that went. And I, I think the cue there is we're getting this modern-themed supplemental set this year. So any future shenanigans with multiplayer are going to be pushed off. Usually you see those every two to three years, not every year. So that's no big surprise. As you said, Commander 2018 likely to have reprints, but otherwise in this you know, similar vein as we have come to expect. Um, they said dual decks are probably being like retired for the time being. And they said there's going to be a twist on the San Diego Comic-Con release this year. So instead of it just being five Planeswalkers, as it has been for several years, there's going to be a little bit of a little tweak on that. And this is, again, I think another uh, touch point for why I think War of the Spark is about Planeswalkers, because that twist is probably something to do with what is unique about Planeswalkers in that set. Could be. Could be. I I am happy to see a San Diego Comic-Con refresh. Um, I was telling saying off before the cast started that if you look at the cool stuff they've given us, um, it's actually been very shallow. You have the oversized cards from Commander, 
Um, and then you have a bunch of alternate art and frame cards, which are, you know, some of them are very cool. Some of them are less cool, but it's basically all the same thing. And I would love for them to explore some other spaces. Like what about little 3d models of the planeswalkers that have loyal, that are on a similar to the old scry life counters, scry magazine life counters that are, have loyalty spin downs. So you can kind of put that on top of your planeswalker card and it, you know, tracks your loyalty. You can't see it, but I'm doing hand motions cause I'm Italian. Um, there's <laughs> also the, uh, I mean, it would also be cool to see like metal etched cards. Obviously you couldn't put those in your deck, but like they give you a paper version of the card that, that's sleeve legal. And then also like a cool metal version of it. Um, would look really nifty and maybe they like have it uh, cut out so that you can stand up and there's a silhouette of your planeswalker type of thing. So I would love to see them get a little more creative with what they shove in that box. Although both of those ideas cost a lot more money than paying an artist, uh, you know, a couple grand to draw five new pictures and then charging 400 bucks a set for them. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the, they also touched on the Mythic Edition and really like brushed right past all of my like inquiries and criticisms <laughs> about that set and said, well, you know, like, was it was really... the shortest it's, paragraph it's, on the page. <laughs> yeah, it's like much better than the first one and people got to buy it internationally and it sold well. They didn't really speak too much about what happened to the missing five or 6,000 units that didn't seem to sell. Where are those going? Did they give them away for free by mistake or are they holding them back to make it seem like it sold out? No commentary on any of the most relevant points. They just kind of said, well, you know, except for the listing coming down and going back up, it was pretty much smooth sailing. (laughs) 6,000 words on the free decks they give out at your local game store and eight words on the debacle of both Mythic editions. Yeah. And meanwhile... Like I had numerous, numerous people tell me that they ordered two, got four, ordered four, got six, ordered one, got two. Also, a ton of people told me, no, I got exactly what I ordered. Um, I would guess that it's something like 10 to 20% of people that ordered in the first few hours of day one that ended up like in the midst of some kind of logistical nightmare when they took the order, the listing down and put it back up. They got snafued in some kind of like shipping database problem. Um, and my father did confirm that he ordered four and got six. Um, the ones that I ordered, no, (laughs) no extra. (laughs) So when he ordered the first mythic edition, he got the box topper apology. My order sailed through no apology box topper. (laughs) He orders four, gets six. I order mine, get exactly what I ordered. I'm going to start asking your dad to order me products. I'm going to ask my dad to do everything. <laughs> this is also the guy that bought us the lottery ticket when Al- Alitza had just given birth to a Alara and she was off work because she's independently employed. She doesn't get paid while she's off uh, for pregnancy leave. She had to literally like risk her clientele. Um, and a month later, we're at his place for Christmas and he puts a lottery ticket in everybody's stocking and Alitza wins $5,000 US, which is like $8,000 Canadian, um, which basically paid for her to have a baby. It's lovely. Uh, uh, yeah, your dad. Meritocracy, right? It's a meritocracy. Um, <laughs> oh, shoot. I had a thought. Uh, I don't remember what it was now. I don't know. I thought Gavin's article overall was fascinating. We got a little more information than I would typically expect Wizards to give us. Um, again, the, the major theme there was reprints. Oh, he did say they were going to change up Mythic Edition. Um, he said... 
you know, he kind of alluded to the fact that they've been pushing higher end products towards kind of our market. You know, he even made a point of saying like, this is something that if you want it, you can go get it. But if you don't care, it doesn't harm you. Um, and he made a point of saying that it wasn't, um, might not be the correct vehicle for it. Yeah. But they like the idea. So I don't know what that means for future releases. Um, but it clearly they've got something in mind that's going that's going to be some territory between putting them in packs like we saw with inventions and you know all of those deals um, and just selling you a you know four hundred dollar pack of eight cards. So there's some middle ground there they have in mind. My my interpretation is there is a third Mythic Edition already planned and and in the warehouses ready to go if not now very shortly for the War of the Spark set, because I believe that set's about Planeswalkers, and I don't see how... I, I, first of all, terrible symmetry if they don't cap <laughs> the third set in the block with Mythic Edition 3. After that, I would expect that then that gets retired and they give us premium cards in some other way, right? Like, yeah, this yeah. whole concept of, there's no more Masterpieces, except now there's Box Stoppers, and now there's Mythic Edition. Or there's no more Master Sets, but now we're going to give you a Master Set that has reprints, but new cards too. So it's not a Master Set, because Master Sets only had reprints. Right. So this is new. <laughs> but really what they're saying is, we ran out of reprints, so now we got to make new cards, because there's no other option. Yeah, which then makes other cards more interesting that we can then reprint. Um, you know that I I'm, I 100% agree with you on the Mythic Edition thing. There's got to be one now that you know you could have made the argument that there there we weren't guaranteed them for the second two Ravnica sets, but now that we've got it for two, there's no chance there isn't one for the third one. Um, you know, Ravnica is a three set release, which they don't really do anymore. So there was clearly, they definitely would have been planning. They would have, uh, committed to a large structure here very early in the process, knowing they were doing three Ravnica sets. So it makes sense that they would plan the mythic edition for all three of them at the start of this wait, you know, starting with, you know, the first Ravnica, what, uh, I don't even remember what the first one's called anymore. Um, so it kind of fits that. It also fits with the, you know, let's do a, put a bunch of cool planeswalkers in people's hands prior to war of the spark. And then when war of the spark comes, we give them the final set. And now they've got all these cool new planeswalkers to give them all the cool cards that care about planeswalkers in the third set. Uh, so it all ties together thematically. It ties together from a business perspective, from a, uh, timeline perspective. It, it definitely flows that that's what we're going to see. Of course, I don't really like this is really news to anyone, right? At this point, but it, all the all the pieces of the puzzle are in place. And again, I said I saw a banner mythic. So, spellbooks apparently are going to continue. Jace's spellbook did okay. They're going to make a few more and see how it goes. Commander anthologies will get every once in a while. There was also the global series, which was the Chinese market only product. Um, and they said that making them standard legal, but only in China was just a total snafu. So they're going to back off that. And the next time they do a regional specific product, it will probably be more casual or multi-format focused. Yeah, that was so odd. Such an odd decision. All right. So let's wrap up here. Uh, where can people find you online, Travis? 
Uh, I am on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, where I occasionally tweet about magic and you can join me on my new exploration in the 3D printing. You'll be able to see all my failed attempts in short order. I also did not bother to tweet this out, but I feel compelled to mention that those fifth element stones are not mine. I just found a cool photo of them and wanted to show you guys. Uh, And I don't remember if I mentioned it, but I write every Monday for the Watchtower series over mtgprice.com. And you guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com, including I, I posted the podcast on the blog this week. I don't know if you noticed. It's the first time in uh, ages. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to carve out the time to get that stuff posted there, even though most of the pro traders have access to this stuff in the Discord or are getting it from SoundCloud. It's just nice to have it on the blog for easy access for others. I did not notice, but I'm sure somebody cares. Yeah. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering while you try to put me information about this card that I know. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be... It's just a close your DMs now, right? Yeah. Um. All right. Well, I had a great show. Episode 154 down. Almost done with three full years. Um, and I will see you this week. I will see you this weekend, Saturday in Toronto. Yep. I'll see you soon, brother. Thank you, Travis. And we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.